all of you poor single men Don't ever give up in despair For there's always a chance in your life To capture the heart of the fair No matter what may be your age You always may cut a fine dash You will suit all the girls to a hair If you've only got a mustache Oh, mustache, oh, mustache If you've only got a mustache Your head may be thick as a block And empty as any football Oh, your eyes may be green as the grass Your head just as hard as a wall You take the advice that I give You'll soon gain affection and cash You'll be all of the rage with the girls If you've only got a mustache Oh, mustache, oh, mustache If you've only got a mustache I once was in sorrow and tears Because I was jilted, you know So right down the river I ran To quickly dispose of my woes A good friend, he gave me advice And timely prevented the splash Now I'm home with a wife and ten heirs And all through a handsome mustache Oh, mustache, oh, mustache And all through a handsome mustache Welcome to the Nerdoplexy Mustache Movie Review Show. In this series, we are going to break down prominent cinematic facial hairs and let you know our Movember musings that we have been stashing away all year where we track the trims, hype the hair, and bash on the trash stashes. My name is Sam, and joining me, as always, is the snowman to my bandit, (laughs) the bandit to my Johnny Quest, the bluey to my bandit. It's Dave. Cowboys love fat calves. They do indeed. So grab your Diablo sandwich as we dive into our third entry in this fantastic voyage. Oh, boy. A gear-jamming classic, Smokey and the Bandit. This was one that I watched as a kid. I have no idea why. Not a kid's movie. I don't know if it's a kid's movie. It's uh, it's PG, <laughs> unbelievably. Directed by Hal Needham. May he rest in peace. Oh, no. Starring Burt Reynolds. May he rest in peace. Oh, man. Jerry Reed. May he rest in peace. Oh, no. <laughs> Jackie Gleason. May he rest in peace. May he rest in peace. (laughs) And uh, Sally Field, she's doing great. She's doing just fine. Sally Field and Little Enos are the only people in the main cast who are still alive. So Jesus, maybe easier to start with that. (laughs) Jerry Reed, of course, famous country western Nashville singer, who sang and wrote the whole soundtrack, which was bespoke for this movie. I usually don't like that, but uh, for this one. It was a hooting and a holler and a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bunch of good old boys. Never meaning no harm, something like that. Jerry Reed also famously Red Bolu from Waterboy. Hey, Waterboy! Yes, Mr. Cosbo, you. You're fired! Okay. Oh. That other classic flick. Director Hal Needham asked Jerry to write a theme song for the film. I got this from IMDb Trivia, by the way. A couple of hours later, Reed presented Eastbound and Down with an acoustic guitar. He started playing it, and Hal Needham immediately stopped him. And Jerry Reed thought he didn't like it, and he said, you know, I'll I'll rewrite the song. And and Hal Needham said, if you change one note, I'll kill you. (laughs) It is perfect for this movie especially, yeah. Went on to become one of his biggest hits. This movie is a guilty pleasure to Alfred Hitchcock, another interesting IMDb trivia. Also, may he rest in peace. (laughs) May he rest in peace. 
Jackie Gleason, probably, if you don't know him as Ralph Cramden, you probably know him as this. This was towards the end of his career. Well, he did this and the other two Smoking the Bandit movies, at least that I know of. I started a new metric for this one because I was sort of like wondering when the mustaches were going to hit as we started. It was a lot of truck zoom-ins and... and, uh, The first two humans you see have like the worst mustaches you've ever seen. Yeah, the first two mustaches are are big and little Enos at four minutes, 20 seconds. So because I did that, I had to go back to Bronson, which was a 32 seconds, S2S seconds to stash. Perfect. Magnum PI, six seconds. So the plot of this movie will take us zero seconds to get through, but that's okay. This might be a short one, might be a weird one. But the whole plot is Big and Little Enos want to pay an exorbitant amount of money to get Coors beer. A truckload of Coors beer at that. To the, what is it, the the Georgia Fairground from Texarkana, Texas, which I believe is an amalgamation of, the, of Texas, Arkansas, and Louisiana. I think you're right. I think that's how they named that one. It's a gambling thing. I mean, obviously that beer is not worth that much money. According to IMDb, if it's, if you're just figuring out the cost of the beer, it would have cost like $200 a case or $16 a bottle or something back then. You know, So it was mostly just as a means of, of placing bets to see if people can do it. No one's able to do this particular run. But the bandit was game, and he reaches out to his good old buddy Cletus Snow or Snowman and uh, forsaking his wife... And whole family. With no thought. <laughs> yeah, with, with very little thought, decides to break the law with his good friend, Bandit. I think you're passing up the sexual tension between Bandit and Snowman when they first meet. They're in bed. Sexual tension suggests that they've not consummated. Good point. That's fair. I think there's no tension in that relationship no. whatsoever. That's true. They're relaxed. Then. <laughs> I think it's that, a very open... Very open relationship, <laughs> uh, which is good. It's been on a zillion times, but I've having never really seen all of it in a row. I didn't realize how loose it was as a like plot-driven movie, and it's basically just like a bunch of. It's a bunch of fun car chases. Yeah, car chases and conversations that had nothing has anything to do with anything else, and I got no problem with that. It was a uh, you know fairly light jaunt and uh, it was very enjoyable i like a good car chase yeah it's like the best part of blues brothers is the car chase also the stunt drivers on this had to be where the entirety of the budget went they were good yeah i was reading they had four trans ams and two or three le mans which buford justice drives a lot of people think he drives the pontiac bonneville but that is not until the second movie evidently they had one Trans Am to do the bridge jump, and that's all it did, and then it died. Of course. <laughs> Never started again. <laughs> Maybe I didn't realize how, how up straight up and down it was of like a buddy comedy flick, but it sort of all came screaming back to me in like the first five minutes when Burt Reynolds looks at right down the barrel of the camera and like gives like a big smile, like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> a Jim Halpert shit-eating grin. Yeah, it just looks like the <laughs> intro to every 90s TV show. <laughs> Turd Ferguson uh, was having this one. He loved it. Yes, he was. And he can drive forklifts. He can drive any forking thing around. I don't know. 
I don't think he was certified for that. No, he's not very good. <laughs> it occurred to me that they didn't have any of those beers on a pallet. It would have been easier probably just to stack 400 cases by hand. Unless they used like one of the bottom boxes, jammed your fork right through those bottles. Just pick it right. up from there. <laughs> the Coors adds a little bit of a tense element. Was Coors not a national beer back then? It was and it wasn't. It was they wouldn't ship it that far because it was not pasteurized and they didn't know how how if it would stay good or something like that. Oh, okay. I read it because I was kind of confused as to like you know why don't they just have it there? Hal Needham was in Georgia working as Burt Reynolds' stunt double in Gator in 1976, and the driver captain on the set brought some Coors beer from California and brought a couple cases to Needham's hotel room. He noticed that the maid kept stealing the beers from the fridge and remembered a Time Magazine article in 1974 about how Coors was unavailable east of the Mississippi River because the beer was not pasteurized and needed constant refrigeration and couldn't legally be sold outside of 11 western and southwestern U.S. states which made him realize that bootlegging cores would make a good plot line for a movie. And, I don't know, probably just driving really fast makes a good plot line, and if you need an excuse to drive fast, that's cool too. It was a fine enough excuse for me. Yeah, why not? But they got their beer with their terrible forklifting, and they pick up a runaway bride. Yes, yeah, Sally Field, <laughs> a runaway bride, the flying man, nun or whatever. Sally Field was smoking back then, man. <laughs> Holy. She did, but she had just started. You smoke much? That was a six-foot-tall joke, and I'm only (laughs) 5'11". Call me Big Enos and you Little Enos. (laughs) Yeah, so we meet Sally Field. She's a runaway bride, and there are some young would-be criminals that are going to come strip her just-married vehicle down because she's, she's escaping from none other than Buford T. Justice's son, Junior, who she decided she did not want to marry. So I was confused if she was going to be marrying Junior or if she was going to be marrying Buford. So thank you for clearing that up because I think I missed something. Also, what I read was Junior wasn't going to be in the car with Buford the whole time. And Jackie Gleason suggested, like, I can't just talk to myself. I I have to have someone to yell at or something. Or it's going to be really weird whenever you're looking at scenes of me just yelling. I like that. And I like that Junior got to hold his hat on for him. I thought that was was good. Super good good bit. Buford Justice's mustache? Mm-hmm. Hey, that thing's all wrong. No, it's bad. That's alarming. It's rough. <laughs> it's a pencil mustache, which isn't always bad, but is usually bad. It wasn't in the center. It was just right up against his lip. The fact is, if you're not John Waters, yeah, being the like maybe the creepiest, strangest man alive, is kind of allowed to get away with it. Yeah, that could be it. But as like a sheriff. It's not as unique of a profession as auteur director where you can have that pencil-thin mustache and get away with it. Do you think they gave it to him so you wouldn't like him at all? Like there was no chance you could feel for this guy? You know, I don't think... Say hypothetically he has like a really good mustache. <laughs> I don't think anyone would I would still like this man. <laughs> That's true. He's unlikable. <laughs> He's so unlikable. He does and says the worst things. He stops the criminals from stripping down the just married car. Or doesn't really stop them. He just wants some information from them to chase down Sally Field. He tells them that not even think about leaving or even think about uh, pleasuring themselves. No, they can think about pleasuring themselves. Right. He changes his mind at the end. They can think of it, but they can't do it. 
So don't play with yourself. But you could think about it. That's really a weird thing to say. Yeah. He's not a good cop, maybe. He's, yeah, he's probably not a good cop, <laughs> judging by his actions. And he also refers to, maybe I'll play a clip here, but he says that... Happens every time one of those dancers start poontanging around with... Those- yeah. <laughs> I'm going to poontang. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, uh, Buford Justice is my villain. Yeah, that's fine. Not to jump the gun. You could jump the gun there. That That's okay. <laughs> a lot of good jokes here. Sally Field says that Bandit has a really great profile, and he says, yeah, especially from the side. It's so stupid. <laughs> I like that a lot. Then he said right after that, it's like, at least there's something we can agree on. Yeah. I'm kind of pretty from the side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's so many shenanigans. So, I mean, I didn't quite list them all, but... The whole point of the movie is that to bootleg this cores, this tractor trailer needs to enlist a very fast car that just goes from town to town, making cops chase him instead of pulling over the tractor trailer and getting his manifest to see what he's supposed to have and what he does have, being that they can't legally carry this cores to where they need to. So there's a peeing cop. And Bandit says, that's a 10-100. Sally Field, she says, yeah, at least it wasn't a 10-200, which is a very funny, <laughs> funny turn of phrase. Evidently, a lot of the 10 codes were, they're not invented by this movie, but certainly popularized by this movie. I would imagine that's the case. CB radio sales jumped through the roof when this movie came out. Trans Am sales went through the roof when this movie came out. Probably Coors sales jumped through the roof. Probably Coors sales... There wasn't a whole lot of competition back then. That wasn't in anyone's vocabulary that wasn't like truck driver or a cop. Professional truck drivers did not appreciate this movie because everybody was buying CB radios to put in their car. Oh, that had to be dangerous. Yeah, well, it's just annoying maybe just to keep getting calls from random people trying to hone their truck driving slang. And later in the movie, Buford Justice calls Junior a pile of monkey nuts. And it always (laughs) makes me think... Um, I mean, this is this is reverse thinking because I obviously have a far more frame of reference for like Austin Powers, but I think toward the end of the movie, Doctor Evil's got a trucker hat and he's like, "Copy that, you some bitch pile of monkey nuts." And it's very funny. <laughs> I knew that it was like probably from something else, and but it's definitely from this. I completely forgot. I haven't watched Austin Powers in maybe like fifteen years. They're good. I don't know if they hold up. Actually, I haven't seen them in a while either. Buford Justice is on. The bandit's tail. My handle's Smokey Bear, and I'm tail grabbing your ass right now. There's a roadblock. There's a bridge jump. The Mulberry Bridge is out, and that's what we kind of talked about before. There's some real ineffective roadblocks, by the way. They put the roadblock just after, like, a side road. When did the spike strip start being a viable... This is a prototype for Grand Theft Auto, so I figure just after this movie came out, they are like... We can't have people driving through grass to get around roadblocks. So let's see. Spike strips were used as early as 331 BC by Darius III against Alexander the Great. Hmm. That's a caltrop, anti-cavalry, anti-personnel versions of the spike strip. When was when did they started by police? The use of spike strips began in 1996. Oh, wow. Since that time, drivers have struck and killed 26 law enforcement officers, five in 2011. Oh, wow. So it doesn't seem like it's no, very good. No, it seems like good. it's pretty ineffective. <laughs> well it stops them <laughs> does it stop them or does the car in front of the spike strip stop them <laughs> at what cost you know i guess 
state police officers can lay down from end to end on the highway and it would be just as effective because <laughs> the bones will really pop the tires too. That's why you don't hit roadkill. Ineffective roadblocks, to be sure, there's like two cars in a V, but in a V that I would think was the wrong direction. The car never took any damage that you can see because that's they had four of them. And it took significant amount of damage and they said that they had the original one and they had to use another car to push <laughs> it into frame in the second one. So they didn't quite run too well after all these shenanigans. But Sally Field's feeling it and she really enjoyed the bridge jump. She wants to jump everything and Bandit says well jump me because he's very horny yeah so that's good i don't know if he was actually horny or if he was just like playing it up and then hoping like just a joke though in case she wasn't with it (laughs) it's very difficult terrain you know you can't tell people you're horny anymore but you could then then was fine then was like you could tell people they had a really nice butt and like that was like the currency of the day. <laughs> yeah. You could get you could tell someone their nickname is now going to be Frog because they're cute and little and you want to jump them. <laughs> In fairness though, she did say she wanted to jump a lot of things. That's true. It's probably the most apt nickname. She's Froggy. She leapt from a wedding. She mentions she dated some acid punk singer for 8 days. She's hopping from thing to thing. She was on Broadway for 12 minutes. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of an apt call sign Smokey is going to drop frog off at a choke and puke which i guess is just a diner a roadside diner like a roadside bar or something yeah i don't know it seems like something that if you work or owned one of those establishments you wouldn't want people to call it that but they don't seem to have any trouble saying it to the people that work there i think it's the only scene where burt reynolds and jackie gleason are in together at the choke and puke until the end yeah until the very end they're in frame together they're not like in a room Right. It's a little bit of dramatic irony where the guy knows he's looking for the bandit. The bandit knows the guy's looking for him, but that guy doesn't know that he is the bandit. But I would have thought that Sheriff Justice is obviously bad at his job, but it would be one thing if it was just a black Trans Am, but it's a black Trans Am with a vanity plate. That says bandit on it, basically. Yeah, ban one. And you'd think that he would have been able to spy that on his way to get his Diablo. But I guess he was just so hungry and had to poop so bad that he, he couldn't even think about it. I love when he gets the sauce on his shirt and uh, Bandit uses Dr. Pepper to wipe it up. It's a very, like, Marx Brothers scene. The jokes on this movie were, were a little smarter than I thought they were going to be. They weren't smart, necessarily. It's goofy, but it's not... It wasn't as just, like, a guy gets hit in the balls. It wasn't slapsticky. There was some wordplay anyway. Yeah, right. It wasn't as lowbrow as all that. One of my favorite things that kept happening is every time Buford got close, he would wreck his car up a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And then one of the times he's going underneath a truck and he tells Junior, Mm -hmm. Doc, are you going to be talking out of your ass? Goes under and rips the top of his car off. I love how like damaged his car kept getting. And you'd said it's a lot of uh, precursor for Grand Theft Auto. And I truly believe that the people who made Grand Theft Auto probably were huge smoking the bandit fans. Oh, yeah. He even got to like wanted level three whenever the helicopter showed up. Yeah, that's when I wrote it down. And I was like, oh, this is Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> well, as you were saying, every time Buford Justice gets a little bit close, there's some 
Some trucker ex machina. Maybe not always trucker. Sometimes old lady in her regular ass car. Or hooker ex machina. That <laughs> There's grave robber who's literally a guy, a guy who drives a hearse. He's got a CB. But I love this like strange community that they've built for this movie where you're like, Everybody must be keeping track of the uh, of what's going on with Bandit, and they know that they're switching their radio stations, and they know when to switch with them. And it's so convenient. Anytime there's any indication that he might get caught, like, nope, don't worry. There's an old lady who also really wants this dude to get the cores to Georgia, and she's willing to wreck her car to get to let that happen. <laughs> Or at least cares about Bandit and is going to wreck her car. She's willing to smash her car up and nearly die, as far as I can tell, just for this bit. <laughs> and there's, like, other truck drivers that are willing to drive. They're willing to nearly kill police. Willing to damage police cars. Like, uh, Buford's got his door open and some trucker just comes flying down the highway and blows his door <laughs> off. And he's so geeked to do it. His muffler falls off. His horn won't stop honking. <laughs> they get some time to stop. Jerry Reed gets in a in a bar brawl for whatever reason. I want to try to figure that out. There has to be a reason. So the dog definitely didn't bite that guy. No. But it was. I think he was going to use it as like, hey, you pay me or I'm going to kill this dog. But instead, they just got in a fight and then let him leave. Let the dog go, too. That's so crazy to me. I'm sure there's other meaning to it, but this is a place the guy has been to many times. Mm-hmm. And this time he notices that the crowd there is a little bit rougher than he expected. You know, he expected to go get a burger for him and his dog and, and then hop back on the road. It's basically the plot of No Country for Old Men, but like a little more succinct. <laughs> Instead, yeah, he destroys a bunch of things. I think maybe that's the other thing. That's probably the whole reason for the scene is, okay, we want this truck to actually do some damage to something. What could it do most damage to? Bikes. Why would he do damage to the bikes? He got in a fight. Why would he get in a fight? Because his his dog bit somebody or somebody's just trying to start a fight and saying that. Sort of putting his back against the wall. So they, they like wrote the end of the scene and then kept going backward. The South Park writers, they don't use... And when they're trying to do their story beats, they use but and therefore. So something happens, therefore this happens. Or something happens, but this happens. This would be a funny scene if we had this. Each individual scene has to work as a kind of funny sketch. You don't want one scene that's just like, well, what what was the point of that scene? We found out this really simple rule that maybe you guys have all heard before, but it took us a long time to learn it. But... We can take these beats, which are basically the beats of your outline, and if the words and then belong between those beats, you're f***ed, basically. You got, you got something pretty boring. What should happen between every beat that you've written down is either the word therefore or but, right? So, so what I'm saying is that you come up with an idea and it's like, okay, this happens, right? And then this happens. No, no, no. It should be this happens and therefore this happens. But this happens, therefore this happens. And that, as soon as we are able to, and literally sometimes we'll, we'll write it out to make sure we're doing it, uh, we'll, we'll have our beats and we'll say, okay, this happened, but 
then this happens, and that affects this, and that does to that, and right. that's why you get a show that feels like, okay, this to that, to this to that, but this, here's the complication, to that. Also, they definitely killed cops, right? Like Several. They definitely killed a few. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Just, but they, None of the cops were anywhere they, near that blockade that like exploded when the truck went through? You could suspend disbelief and say they got out, but... It is still attempted murder, as Buford Justice did say. And there's, I don't know why anyone's rooting for him to do that stuff, <laughs> but they are anyway. And it doesn't matter. You're not supposed to wonder. You're just supposed to say, woo, he made it to the fairgrounds. He almost killed children on a football field, but <laughs> made it to a fairground. Didn't wreck the football field at all. And I actually read that that was the closest any extras came to getting injured. With jumping through the back of the football field? Yeah, but not because of that, but because the groundskeeper for the field watered the field. Oh. So the Trans Am kind of skid one way when it wasn't supposed to. That's horrifying. But hey, nobody was injured. While Jerry's getting in his scraps and running bikes over, Bandit is gets to be a little amorous. Sally Field asks him if he ever takes his hat off. He says he only takes his hat off for one thing, and that's when he bangs. Yeah. Uh, so they, they must bang because he takes his hat off. Which leads to he showers in that thing. Yeah. Maybe he means like... When he's awake, he only takes it off for one thing. Yeah, or when when his when his big enus is wet. Okay. So that then covers the shower. Got it, got it, got it. The pool. Water slides. Squirt gun battles. Yep, he could take his hat off for those. She gotta shoot him in the dick first. <laughs> Uh, so I have prostitute truckers, and yeah, that I mean, honestly, they they make it. <laughs> Spoiler: they, they don't die. They, they make it. <laughs> they make it, and I think at the end there's a little joke. But Big and Little Enos are they want them to come back to bring back clam chowder or something from Boston in 18 hours, which doesn't seem like it could be done, but they say they'll do it. I don't know. There's a second movie. I never watched it. We can get into now the follicular particulars of the Rotten Tomatoes budgets and things. Smokey and the Bandit holds a 78% on the Tomatometer with an audience score of 84. That's pretty solid. That is good. Hey, critic consensus is not much in the head, but plenty beneath the hood. Smokey and the Bandit is infectious fun with plenty of car wrecks to keep your eyes glued. Couldn't agree more. The budget on this bad boy was 4.3 mil, and it grossed in the U.S. and Canada 127 million. But the worldwide is also 127 million, which makes me think this movie doesn't play outside of the U.S. at all. <laughs> AFI they consider it to be in the top 100 American comedies. We will take this time to tell you who our heroes are and who our villains are in a segment we like to call who's your hero who's your villain my hero is bandit he fleeces everybody he's just a swarmy dude and everyone loves it and it's like kind of of that time where there aren't people like that in movies anymore so i i was just so much fun to watch him he's a rogue yeah a rogue and you love it you love to see it my hero is snowman He's just a good buddy's good buddy. He was just down to clown. And the soundtrack was killer. I mean, he crushed it. There's like maybe only one song in the middle where I'm like, this is weird. Well. But but I mean, you can't win them all. 
Eastbound and Down is enough to save him from any misdeeds. It's the only time that we've had a bespoke soundtrack slash song or whatever, and I'm not like, ugh. I love it all the time. It was so much fun. It even won me over. And my villain is Buford T. Justice, Jackie Gleason. I also saw that the script for this was incredibly thin, and it was mostly ad-libs. So, yeah, whenever you say Jackie Gleason's ad-libbing all that stuff, it's pretty impressive and pretty detestable things he says and does, and I think, yeah, man, if he can create that character, that's pretty impressive. I wonder how many people broke, like, how many takes did they have of Jackie Gleason just saying the funniest, weirdest shit he's ever said? My villain's a biker gang in this one. There's, like, no reason for them to be as shitty as they were. And uh, they, they kind of got what was coming. They're not dog people, but they're not bikers anymore either. Because you have to have a bike to be a biker. Yeah, that is true. Uh, okay, so I must ask you this question, Dave. Uh, do you think that this movie was good because of a mustache, despite a mustache, bad because of a mustache, or despite a mustache? This movie was pure good mustache versus pure evil mustache. I was exactly what I was going to say. It's in the mustache. In AI, I put Burt Reynolds with no mustache, and AI couldn't do it. It's like, you mean without an upper lip? Yeah, it couldn't do it. Because you'd have to take that from him. It made the mustache bigger. But if I can use the most powerful amount of imagination possible, this movie would still be fun to watch sans mustache it would have to have a different leading man or cg or perhaps like a he could wear a handkerchief over the lower half of his face and you can't see you know the mustache is there though still you'd still be able to hear the mustache you know it's there you'd feel it all of your senses but sight would know there's a mustache you'd taste it yeah (laughs) would you recommend this movie to people final thoughts yeah i would I would. Yeah, it's fun. It's stupid. It's so much fun. I'm glad I watched it again. That was an easy one. Magnum P.I., I think you should watch Solo <laughs> Flight and nothing else. I think you should watch Bronson. There are very few movies that I think that people shouldn't watch. I think you should be inundating yourself with good and bad movies because if you don't, your powers of discernment will wane because um, I'm a terrible critic when it comes to actually criticizing I I know that it's uh, a lot of things, If even if I didn't really like them, that were labors of love. I still enjoy that it exists, even if I wouldn't probably subject myself mm-hmm. to it again, that kind of a thing. And this movie was so fun, I didn't even dave down on it, even though they were making out while driving about 110 miles an hour. There's a lot that you could dave down on in this one. So much so that it's not even worth doing. Exactly. How much time do you really have? Anyway... If you have a lot of time, or even very little, or just some time while you're waiting at a bus stop, or a truck stop, or a choke and die, or whatever the hell. (laughs) Choke and puke. (laughs) A choke and puke. If you're at a choke and puke, and you got nothing better to do, and you want to get your phone out, you go to fleshhorse.com, you uh, go to nerdaplexy.com, you go to anchor.fm slash nerdaplexy, you go to iTunes search for nerdoplexy yeah you rate review subscribe listen look send share love donate to hey we're doing weird movies right now but if you wanted to pick a movie it's five dollars a month five dollar a month subscribers we will do a movie and because we love you we want to give you what you want we have been departing heavily from the initial outset of the 
of the podcast, but we'll be back to it soon. Reed will be back. Speaking of Reed, if you want to reach out to him, he's on Twitter at PGH underscore Reed. He's at Reed underscore Nerdoplexy on Letterboxd. And if you want to check me out on Twitter, I'm not doing a lot there, but I will surely get back to you any any and all times you want to reach out at PGH underscore SVH. My friend and brother Dave, our social media manager, our social media Fred, he is at the face of Dave. Also, will respond to at Nerdoplexy Pod on Twitter. What's that mustache fact, though? During Nerdoplexy's Movember, we like to leave you with a mustache fact. And as I prepared for you, a uh, fascinating mustache fact. The first historical artifact depicting a mustache dates back to 300 BC. It shows an Iranian horseman with a thick black mustache. Now, okay, how do they know he's a horseman? I imagine he was on a horse. He died on a horse? Or am I reading this wrong? Is it horseman? Oh, he could be. Could have been a centaur. Was he a centaur with a thick <laughs> black mustache? Because that is my exact style. Tom Selleck centaur. M- Mountain P.I. Or like N- Nagnum P.I. <laughs> and Smokey, by definition in this movie, is police officer, correct? Yeah, they call them Smokies because of the hat they wear. Mm-hmm. The mouthy hat. I just felt like we should probably get that in there somewhere.